You literally <laughs> just, just said, said it. it. It came into your brain. And then you said, those are good words. I will say those words. <laughs> I don't think it's as bad as you're making it out to be. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about the murders of Damon Wells and John Accord. For the Nifty 50? Yes. <laughs> 50th episode the shifty 50 that's right guys we have done this for 50 episodes and if you have listened with us all the way through thank you very much it's very good to have you here and uh where did you do your research katie this one was headshot by burl bearer and where in the world are we going this one's in tacoma washington tacoma tacoma like the toyota i think it was a, a city before a car but yes oh uh, we'll double check that later all, all right. right where did you actually get the book like from a thrifty store? I got off my bookshelf. You already had it? Mm-hmm. I walked in here and I was like... Mm. Where did it originally come from? A thrifty store? Bookman's. Oh, that's that's a bookstore. A used bookstore. You can buy other things there. All right, Katie, you want to go ahead and start us off? Our perpetrators in these two cases are Andrew Webb and brothers Paul and Christopher St. Pierre. Oh, we got some Frenchies this week? Like the dogs? Yes. Oh, those dogs are so cute. They are adorable. No, are these people French descent? You know, Saint Pierre. How is she to know that? Pierre. It's a French name. I didn't get on Ancestry for this one, unfortunately. Finding any information outside of what was given in the book on these men was basically impossible, aside from the two newspaper clippings about the murders. What we do know is that Andrew Webb was the sixth of nine children born to Lowell Webb and Dolores Armstrong. Webb was raised a devout Christian under a questionable morals. His what? ex. Okay, can can you expand on that a little bit, please? It's just regular Christianity. Questionable morals? <laughs> well, what does uh, under questionable morals mean? Um, Incest. Oh. A lot a, of incest. He's a product of incest. Yeah. Then. Oh, okay. Well, no, he's not. He wasn't born out of incest, but the family practiced it between the children significantly. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah, like they made all, him do stuff? He made his sisters do stuff supposedly this is according to his ex-wife she said that he told her that he would quote-unquote torment his sisters and that she knew that like there was a lot of physical emotional and sexual abuse going on in the family so just so he he molested them yes okay and made them molest each other i think it was everyone in the family i think the father participated too so i think it was just everyone not just webb not just andrew Along with this, Webb experienced multiple head injuries as a child, the worst being when his mother backed a car over his head because the drive... Why did I laugh at that? Because <laughs> it's fucking funny. Because it's just not what you're expecting to no. hear. Because the driveway was sand, he only suffered from a broken jaw, but the trauma likely left him with some sort of brain injury as well. This is where more of that questionable Christian morals comes in, huh? No, it was mostly the incest. She so, didn't mean to back over his head. Was oh, he just like pretending to be an ostrich and put his head in, in, the, the, sand? in the driveway? That's and... a myth. They don't actually do that. No? Well, no, they don't. This was, you know, what is this, the 50s, 40s, 60s? They didn't have science back then either way. It said in the book that she basically saw in her rear view one of her other kids like waving her down and trying to tell her to stop and she just hit the gas harder. She just kept going until oh. she felt the bump and then I guess she stopped the car. She pulled back forward to see what that was. Christopher and Paul St. Pierre were born to George and Carmela St. Pierre with Christopher being their last born. He was born with a heart defect that required surgery when he was three and a half months old and four years old. 
Paul had social and mental problems that went untreated, causing his peers at school and in the neighborhood to bully him. Why exactly were they bullying him? Just because he was awkward or? He was socially inept, yeah. One close friend the brothers shared was Andrew Webb, who lived not far away and was close in age to the brothers. As Paul aged into his teen years, he transformed from being bullied to the bully himself, using violence and drugs and alcohol to make himself seem cool. So he actually was cool, though. Like, Matthew McConaughey type cool, like... He beat the shit out of people and did drugs, so no, I would say that's uncool. I think Rory did that in high school. I'm just saying people can change later in life. So I'm sure he's going to get on the right path pretty quick. Paul's first run-in with police was when he was only 16. He and a friend broke into an abandoned house to smoke weed and were quickly caught by officers. Who hasn't been there? 420, fuck yeah. I've never done that. Most people have been there. Yeah, you go out and find an abandoned house. Yeah, or a house they're building, you go in, you know, oh, smoke that's even a little better. Weed. Yeah, you just go in and smoke a little weed. Sometimes the cops come and you either hide in the basement or you take off running. That's childhood. That's childish. That's how it do. Yeah, that's how it's that's how it starts. Paul and his friend jumped into the car and attempted to escape, causing the police to fire a shotgun at them. The pellets hit Paul's friend, causing Paul to crash the car and flee on foot. He was stopped not long later when police saw him walking with his friend's blood on his clothes. You know, like Roy was saying, it's uh pretty, you know, everybody's done that shit, but until you get to the part where they didn't just, like, you take off running, oh, the cops got you, okay, you probably stop or something. You don't, you get shot at? Yeah, well. The shit's a little out there. Yeah, this is. Dude just shot down with a shotgun because they were running? Who shoots at teenagers with a shotgun? I'm, I can't speak on what the cops were thinking, but it was... Back in the bad days. I guess, yeah. It's never been good days, but... In court, Paul pleaded guilty and was offered a deal from the judge, enlisted in the army, and served seriously reduced prison time. Paul took the deal and joined the Marines, but was medically discharged when a car accident injured his leg. These guys really need to stay, like, three feet or more away from moving vehicles, like, at all times. Everyone in this book, including the victims, had been in a car accident. Damn. I don't know what was going on, but... People in Washington can't drive. But my my real question here is, uh, Paul took the deal with the Marines and was then medically discharged, and that wiped out most of his sentence? I guess, yeah. He Since put his he was 16. Foot. Since that was the either you do this or you go to jail for this long, he didn't do it. Dude, he worked the system. Okay. I don't think he intentionally got in a car accident. I'm thinking he did. I don't know. I'm not the expert here. I'm not the professional, and I did not read Headshot. And I, I know nothing about this, so I'm just going to speculate. I don't know how long the judge wanted him to serve for, but he served a few years before he got in the accident. Oh, okay. So okay, I, I don't know if it was like a five-year thing or like a year thing. He moved back to Tacoma and into a house with his brother Chris, Andrew Webb, and a few other men. They called it the Sausage Paddy. 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 All three were extremely racist, but Paul took it to an extreme by constantly trying to convince Webb and his brother to kill black men they saw on the street. That's a bit of a level up there. Yeah. Supposedly, Chris <laughs> agreed to help Paul kill four men at one point, but the story was never confirmed and likely isn't true. Everyone has, like, the friend with the bad ideas, but that's just stupid ideas. Like, oh, dude, throw a soda at this asshole in this car or something. It's not like, go beat the shit out of that dude and kill him because his skin is different colored than ours. Sadly, there's, like, a lot of people that have that latter idea, though. A lot. Like, a surprising amount, really. More than it should be. 
Webb's violence really began to show when he married his wife Anne in 1981. She stated that he had extreme mood swings, flying off the handle at nothing, and either cried, punched holes in walls, or curled up in the fetal position in their bathroom cabinet. At one point, Webb's violence was directed at Anne, and he almost strangled her to death. When Anne called Webb's mother looking for someone to talk to, she was told she was possessed and Webb was simply bringing her to the brink of death to exorcise the demon from her. I'm not sure that's the Jesus-approved protocol for performing an exorcism. No, it is. Violence wasn't the only abnormal part of Webb's life. Anne also said that he had three beaver skulls that he claimed communicated with him and gave him advice. His nephew also said Webb had told him that Vikings followed him around 24-7, telling him what to do, which was usually to kill people. You know, Vikings are assholes like that, so... It's not that <laughs> far out of the realm of belief. Viking ghosts. <laughs> Just, like, fucking so, kill that guy. Does it, is there under any underlying mental illness in here that could possibly be causing these things? Is the hallucinations, and, hallucinations he, and things? He was diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder later in prison, which is more than likely what he had the entire time. Some sort of personality disorder, for sure. Like a split personality disorder? Because maybe he... No, that's extremely rare. Is it? I just thought if your mom ran over your head, you might get a split personality disorder. No, DID uh, usually is from severe trauma. Abuse. Yeah. Usually uh, sexual abuse. Yeah, your brain splits and takes you to a place that's safe. Webb also told close family members that he had a strong desire to eat human flesh. Honestly, if anyone was possessed, it had to be, it had to be this guy, right? Webb's violence only continued and was compounded in 1983 when his and Anne's home was burglarized and his gun stolen. Talking to neighbors, Webb learned of some teenagers that may have been involved. In March, he and an accomplice armed themselves and broke into the home of Thomas Shannon and Richard Dalo. Webb asked over and over where his guns were, but the men did not know. Every time they answered truthfully, Webb used a baseball bat to smash their knuckles. Brutal. Eventually, he realized they were getting nowhere, and they left the home. How many knuckles do you have to smash before you decide you're getting nowhere? Probably till there's none left. Ten knuckles? Ten knuckles. Twenty knuckles if it's two people? Yeah. Do you go for the toes? Do you smash toes? I did see a movie once called Payback with uh, Mel Gibson in it, I want to say. And uh, he got his toes crushed with a hammer. It was pretty brutal. Then he kept walking for the rest of the movie? No, this is at the end of the movie. Going again off of what the neighbor's teens told him, Webb broke into the home of Nellie Sanford and her three children. They also knew nothing of the guns and were left relatively unharmed. That was until July 5th, 1983, when Webb and another man, Randy Nolan, broke into Nellie Sanford's home a second time. They were each armed, Webb with a rifle and Nolan with a shotgun. Nellie attempted to grab the shotgun and a struggle ensued, and Nellie's son Shane jumped in to help her. This led to Webb beating Shane with the butt of his rifle, and at one point the trigger was accidentally pulled and the gun went off. Nearby police officers heard the struggle and rushed to the scene where they found one of Nellie's children on the roof screaming for help and another climbing out of his second-story window and dropping to the ground. Was anybody hit by that bullet that went off? No, it basically just went into a wall in the second story. Lucky. At that moment, Webb and Shane, still fighting, came into the officer's view in the window and the cop lined up a shot, fully intending to kill Webb. Right as he was about to pull the trigger, the curtains fell, blocking his view. This guy... Luck doesn't even begin to cover or explain how he's just often, so often avoids death. Backup arrived and Webb and Nolan ran out the back door, not making it far before they were both taken into custody. 
Webb pleaded guilty to his charges on January 26, 1984, but his sentencing was delayed because a mental evaluation was requested. Around a month later, he was sentenced to no prison time. Instead, he had to complete 700 hours of community service. Webb had a falling out with his wife and moved in with the St. Pierre brothers around the same time as his sentencing. At 9 a.m. on June 9, 1984, tensions rose to a head in the St. Pierre household after a night of drinking and drug use. An argument began between Paul St. Pierre and Andrew Webb and ended when Webb said, quote, What are you going to do, Paul? Shoot me? And Paul shot him at close range with a forty-five. And that's when he knew he fucked up. If someone ever says, what are you going to do, shoot me, you're going to get shot. Well, if you say that. Yeah. No, I've said that to someone before outside of the Petco on Broadway, and he just pulled out this big, huge, long nose three fifty seven, and was like, it's your lucky day, white boy. And then he got in his truck and drove away. Cool. It was your lucky day. Yeah, I was luckier than this guy that day. Another resident in the home ran to the tavern across the street and told the owners to call police. When officers arrived, they found Paul and witnessed Kevin Wiggins attempting to get near Death Webb into a car. An ambulance arrived just in time, and Webb was taken to the hospital and stabilized. Four days later, on the 13th, an anonymous woman called Tacoma Crime Stoppers and reported that Paul St. Pierre was involved in a man's disappearance. The woman said, quote, Paul St. Pierre broke Damon Wells' neck, then put his body in the trunk of a car and drove off for about four hours. They reportedly put the body in a dumpster. When police looked into Damon Wells, they discovered he'd been reported missing by his great-grandmother on February 24th after he had left his house with a friend, telling her he'd be right back. When Damon's mother began asking around, she discovered that he had gone to a party at the St. Pierre's home, and Damon had left after his friend got into a fight with Andrew Webb. So Damon's friend got into a fight with Andrew Webb, and then supposedly they left the party? Yeah. Well, who was his friend? Do we know anything about the friend? He was just a friend, yeah. Andrew Webb thought that he owed him money for some reason, or he'd been ripped off, and so Damon kind of got wrapped into that, I guess. Ah, uh, was Andrew Webb a drug dealer, or...? I don't know. I don't think so. Officers began interviewing people that lived at the home, starting with Mark Perez. He stated that Paul St. Pierre had been on a power trip after an incident earlier that year when Paul shot a man in a grocery store after a fight. It was determined Paul acted in self-defense and no charges were filed. So he basically just felt like, since he got away with it once, he was just kind of a badass who could just get away with shooting people and doing what he wanted? Basically. Does this lead into any sort of psychological behavior? Like, is there anything that we can say or point to that may have sent him in this direction? To shooting people or being yeah. on a power trip? No, yeah, both being on the power trip and shooting people and getting away with it. I think people in a criminal mindset, if they commit a crime and they get away with it once, they think they can do it over and over and always get away with it. Especially injuring someone and then having the police tell you that you're not at fault for it, basically. What okay. is it when you, like, think you're you're the coolest and you have that complex about yourself? What's it called? Um, Megalomania, delusions of grandeur, uh, egomaniac. Egomaniac, I like that one. Speaking of the night of the party missing Damon Wells had attended, Perez said that Andrew Webb and Paul were both in the bathroom for around 30 minutes after the fight ended, cleaning Webb's injuries. They then went to the hospital and returned 45 minutes later, claiming the wait was too long, so they just left. Did he get, like... Pretty messed up then in that fight? Do we know? I guess his nose got bitten. Oof. So he was bleeding really bad. I saw a picture of a person who put peanut butter on their forehead while they were trying to groom it their dog. It was probably just like that, yeah. And it bit their nose off. Donald Marshall, another resident at the home, recalled hearing a loud struggle in the bathroom when Paul and Webb were inside. After they returned from the hospital, he saw them build a fire and burn their clothing. 
Knowing that something bad had happened, but not sure what, Mark Perez and Donald Marshall both moved out of the St. Pierre's house. On the 11th, Chris showed up at the Marshall's work and threatened him, saying he better watch what he says to people or something bad would happen to him. Chris showed him loose bullets he had in his pocket as a vague threat. He was just like, opened up his pocket for him to look in, shook it. And he's just like, what do you, what do you got in there, buddy? Some jewelry? He's like, bullets. These are for you. You've got your name on them. So was he just going to, like, shove the bullet between the dude's eyes until he was dead? Or, like, is that the threat? Yeah, I don't know why he didn't just bring the gun. Yeah, the gun is the threatening part. The bullets, the bullets mean not nothing. so much. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But you can't get away with taking a gun into someone's work and waving it in their face. Literally just lift your shirt up. Yeah, you don't have to wave it around to get your point across. Well, he didn't realize that. He thought the way to go was to shake his loose change-sounding pocket at him. Yeah, Chris was definitely wrapped into this. I don't think he really knew what he was doing, so that's why he just chose bullets. Okay. <laughs> Imagine if he just went in throwing one up in the air and catching it, throwing one up in the air. That'd be more intimidating, actually. That would be super intimidating. Two days later, Marshall heard a rumor that Paul had gotten into a fight with a hitchhiker and had shot and killed the man. Roy Kistler, a friend of Paul's and a Christian man, heard the rumor and decided to take Paul to his cabin to see if he could talk some sense into him. When Kistler was interviewed by police on the 15th, he told them that Paul had admitted everything to him. On the drive to the cabin, Paul admitted, yeah, we've been killing these guys. That seems really casual. He went into gruesome detail once they arrived at the cabin, telling Kistler that he, Chris, and Webb had cut Damon Wells' throat and stood over him, watching him bleed to death. While he was lying face down, struggling to breathe, Damon had a knife thrown into his back twice. Once he was dead, they put his body in a sleeping bag in the trunk of Paul's car and drove to Mount Rainier, where they dug a grave. Damon's body wouldn't fit in the hole, so Paul jumped on his legs until they were broken so they could be pushed into the grave. Ah, that's so brutal. I wonder, like, how many times you have to use someone's legs as a trampoline before they can get into a small hole. Why wouldn't you just dig the hole deeper or wider? Why wouldn't you just bend his legs at the knees? Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of stupid ways to do that, and that's definitely one of them. After Paul finished telling Kistler about Damon Wells' death, he told him about a woman they had kidnapped and kept trapped at their house for a week. Details of this are limited to people at the house remembering seeing and hearing a young woman in one of the rooms who was obviously upset and kept asking to go home. No charges were ever filed, and no victim ever came forward. What exactly prompted Paul to spill his guts to this guy? Was he, like, hoping to get caught, or was he just... Too stoked on murdering for his own good, or? I think, yeah, I think it was probably weighing on his conscience, and he just didn't want to keep it in anymore. So the opposite of stoked, he wanted to get it out. Or he was bragging. It's entirely possible he was bragging. After Kistler's interview, Mark Perez was brought back for another interview, this time about the supposed hitchhiker Paul St. Pierre had shot. Perez admitted that on May 18th, he was woken up by a loud bang and Chris and Andrew Webb yelling at Paul, asking him what the fuck he'd done. Chris briefly came into Perez's room and told him not to come out and get involved in what was happening in the living room. The next morning, Paul freely admitted what had happened, telling Perez the hitchhiker, John Accord, had charged Paul with a knife, so Paul shot him in the head in self-defense. Perez could see the bloodstains on pieces of carpet that had been cut out and placed off to the side of the room. Obviously, like, the carpet is missing, the midnight calamity, and the don't come out and get involved. You have no cho- no choice at that point but to tell the roommate, I guess. Except that they could have just killed Perez, too, so why didn't they just do that? He doesn't really know what happened, yeah, though. He has zero idea. That's why they're like, stay in here, it's for your own good. Please, spill your guts to him, as usual. 
This guy's spilling his guts to everybody. He didn't spill his guts to Peru. Well, yes, okay, he did, yeah, right he did. here. Yeah, so. But Paul didn't spill. Did Paul? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Freely admitted what had happened, telling Perez. Okay. So, what we got here is we got Paul telling the other roommate what happened after telling him not to get involved. And. Because Chris had told him, don't get involved. Oh, and then, Chris told him. That's where I got confused. Okay, and sorry. And then Paul came out and was like, yeah, I shot someone. But it was self-defense. That's his thing. It's always self-defense. Okay, so Paul didn't tell Perez to stay in the room. It was no, it was other. Chris. Okay. So they didn't get their story straight before. Yeah, they... I, was, I was confused why he'd go into the room and tell a guy to stay out and then just go tell him. On June 18th, Tacoma PD secured a search warrant for the St. Pierre's home, where they found the gun used to shoot both John Accord and Andrew Webb and blood. Chris St. Pierre was arrested and taken to the station, where he admitted he was screwed, so he might as well tell them everything. Starting first with Damon Wells' murder, Chris said that a toilet seat was used to beat Damon unconscious by him, Paul, and Webb. Once he was knocked out, they decided to drive him to Salmon Beach and take his shoes so he would have to walk home barefoot. When they arrived at Salmon Beach, Damon ran from them, screaming for help and that he was going to call the police. Andrew Webb ran after him and was able to catch up and knock him to the ground face down. He took out a knife and lifted Damon's head by his hair and pulled the knife across his throat three times. Webb stood up and the three men stood watching as Damon struggled to breathe as he bled to death. Webb took the knife and forcefully threw it at Damon's back twice, puncturing multiple organs. That went from making him walk home barefoot to slitting his throat and stabbing him in the back really, really quick. Did they ever intend to just let him loose? I think everyone but Andrew Webb did. So he was just like, nah, fuck this, and just... Acted on his own? Basically, yeah. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. They drug his body underneath some bushes and left the scene. It wasn't until the next morning that they decided Damon's body needed to be buried to keep anyone from finding it. This was when they wrapped his body in a sleeping bag and drove it to an isolated spot near Alder Lake where it was buried after Damon's legs were broken so he would fit in the grave. Moving next to the story of John Accord's murder, Chris told police that Andrew Webb had arrived home and found Paul St. Pierre standing over John's body with a gun in his hand, claiming that John had a knife and he had to kill him in self-defense. They cut out the bloody carpet and rolled John's body in it and moved it to their unused bedroom. Once everything was cleaned up, they called friends and invited them over for a party. They just hung a disco ball over the area where the carpet was cut out? This is our dance floor now. Probably. Once they were ready to bury John's body, they drove it to the same area as Damon Wells had been buried and placed it in a shallow grave. In the days following the burial, Paul began to worry that if John's body was found, the bullet in his head could be used to link him to the murder, as police could compare it to the bullet he'd shot into the man in the grocery store months earlier. Had they, so they, did they actually get the ballistics off of the bullet months earlier from the guy he shot, or was this just I doubt paranoia? It. I think it was just a paranoia thing, yeah. Their solution was to drive back to the gravesite and cut off John's head with an axe. It was placed in a five-gallon bucket with cement and kept at the house until the cement had fully set. Police actually noticed the bucket when they first searched the house after Andrew Webb had been shot, but it was explained away and they did not have reason to think that there was a human head in it. A few days later, Paul and another housemate drove to the bridge over the Pulley-Up River and dropped it into the water. I apologize if I say that wrong. Sounded right to me. I, I don't like know it. how. I don't think anyone knows how to say it right. So I have to wonder how you just you put the head in the bucket. Do you put cement in first, and then the head, and then more cement? Because otherwise, someone could see the head through the bottom of the bucket. Maybe I don't think you can see through cement. 
Chris agreed to take police to Damon Wells and John Accord's body. Once his story was corroborated with evidence, Paul St. Pierre and Andrew Webb were both arrested. The autopsy of Damon's body confirmed the story Chris had told them, but John's headless body told a different story. While they could assume that he had been shot in the head, they also found that he had been stabbed in the back a dozen times, which was likely his actual cause of death. Chris had never mentioned Paul or Webb stabbing John, which led to major contention during the later trial. And they never found the head in the bucket? They found it, but the bullet didn't actually hit anything that would kill him. It basically entered through his jaw, so he was still alive when he was stabbed. So that's why they're saying that the stab stabbing was uh, likely his actual cause of death? Yes. Ah, okay. Chris, Paul, and Andrew Webb were all charged with first-degree aggravated murder, which allowed them to be given the death penalty should a jury see fit. The head prosecutor offered a plea deal. A guilty plea and testimony at the trials of the other men would take the death penalty off the table. Prosecutor didn't offer their deal to any one specific man, such as Chris St. Pierre, who was the only one to give a solid sworn statement so far. They told the defense attorneys whoever could get the paperwork to them fastest would get the deal. Andrew Webb's attorney was able to file a plea literal minutes before Chris's, so Webb was the first to go to prison. So the quote-unquote winner of this race got to go to prison first? That was the... And not go to the gallows. Oh, so the, the Took winner... Took the death penalty off the table, so they got to live forever and not... Well, not forever. Hung. Well, yeah, but they didn't die by hanging. A month after his arrest, he gave his sworn statement, which claimed that Paul St. Pierre had given him the knife and told him he had to slit Damon Wells' throat. This may have been believable, but Webb also stated when he hesitated, Paul pointed the knife at him and threatened to stab him. Somehow, Paul was able to both give the knife to Webb to kill Damon and moments later use that same knife to threaten Webb. With the plea deal off the table, Paul St. Pierre pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. As he awaited trial in solitary confinement, he began to become increasingly paranoid, leading his attorney to request a competency hearing and that Paul be sent to a state mental hospital for 90 days of treatment. Two psychiatrists legally found him competent to stand trial, but the judge ruled that he was incompetent and should be admitted to the hospital for treatment before they tried him. In what some claim was a conspiracy between the hospital and the prosecutor's office, Paul spent three of 90 days at the hospital before being ruled competent and sent back to jail. It was this common practice back then to send someone to a hospital before sending them to prison to make sure that they were mentally... If they're deemed incompetent to stand trial, they cannot go to trial, so they have to go and get treatment. So basically what you would do is send them to a hospital and have them treated, and then basically have someone rule on their competence again at the end of the treatment period. And if they're competent, they go to trial, and then they maybe go to prison. If they're not, they go back to the hospital. So... Why did the, what was the judge's excuse for his thinking he, he was incompetent? So he was dangerous, basically. He was incredibly dangerous, and they didn't, he didn't really have a way to get him kept in solitary, because he had, or he wanted him to go to Gen Pop so he would be competent, and he couldn't get him to Gen Pop unless he was in, went to the hospital and was ruled competent, and okay. there was a whole shit show, basically. Okay. But it was... To get him out of solitary so he was competent, basically. This allowed him and Chris to be tried together as originally planned. After a mistrial was called during the jury selection and a new judge placed on the case, the trial for the murder of Damon Wells finally began. Prosecution star witness Andrew Webb broke his plea deal and refused to testify, throwing yet another curveball at both the prosecutors and defense attorneys. After a hot mess of a trial, Chris was found guilty of kidnapping, assault, and felony murder, saving him from the death penalty. 
Why does the felony murder keep him away from the old salt and vinegar? You mean the death penalty by that? Yeah, that's what they call it because, you know, how you put some salt and some vinegar and you inject it. So in the state of Washington, you have to be found guilty of first-degree aggravated murder to be tried for the death penalty. Felony murder is not a death penalty charge. Because felony is murder in the committing of a felony, right? Like, the murder was secondary to the felony, or...? I mean, it's still first-degree murder, but it's murder that occurred in the commission of a felony, yeah. So, like, if you robbed a bank and someone had a heart attack and died because <laughs> you were robbing a bank, you would be guilty of felony murder. Oh, that's a, that's a harsh one. But every state is different in terms of what they can give you the death penalty for. Oh, okay. Paul was found guilty of first-degree aggravated murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Chris and Paul's trial for the murder of John Accord was equally messy and long. If anyone's interested in the entire story, Headshot goes into great detail about both trials. Both Chris and Paul were found guilty of first-degree aggravated murder of John Accord, likely because no one ever admitted to knowing that John had been stabbed to death. Both were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, barely avoiding death by hanging. After being transferred to prison on October 14, 1985, Paul St. Pierre committed suicide by shoving feces-filled toilet paper down his throat. Some claim that this occurred only weeks after Paul had gotten into a physical altercation with a prison guard, and the circumstances around his death were extremely suspicious. So do they think the prison guard shoved the, toilet, the feces toilet paper down his throat? Or let another inmate do it, yeah. They think he was murdered, that he didn't kill himself. That'd be a rough way to kill yourself. Yeah. You just wrap your toilet paper in poop so you don't have to I think they wrapped breathe. The poop in toilet paper. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> trying hard not to puke right now. He was just trying to avoid the taste of the toilet paper. It doesn't taste good. Both Chris, St. Pierre, and Andrew Webb were paroled sometime in the 2000s, but I was unable to find anything on Washington's DOC website indicating when exactly they got out. As of 2012, both men were still alive, and to my knowledge, still are. Probably roaming around Washington somewhere. I guess Webb wrote a book about, like, Nordic gods. He wrote a book? The ones that book. were following him around? I guess he's, like, really into it. Yeah. He <laughs> dropped his old Christian thing when he got out of prison and went back to... Old-timey gods? I guess, yeah. Is it possible he just got in with an interesting crowd in prison and they were like, yeah, we follow the Nordic everything around here? No, he was very Christian in prison. He was, like, choir boy, basically. We found Jesus. Goody two-shoes. Oh, yeah, until he got out of prison. Find Jesus, find the Nordic gods. That's how it goes. Basically. So is that going to be it for this one, Katie? That's it, yep. Oh, episode number 50 in the bag. Shifty 50 in the books. What If, if anybody wants to learn any more about this, or you said there weren't very many resources, just the book? Just the book, yeah. Interesting. We forgot to mention, too, that about Lori Vallow. I don't know if you want to talk about it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so on Tuesday, the 9th, I believe, the FBI served a search warrant on Chad Daybill's property, who's the husband of Lori Vallow. They found two sets of human remains, and it's confirmed that it was JJ and Tylee Ryan. So and Missing children have been found. So they killed them and then flew off to Hawaii or whatever. Most likely, yes. And they're both being held on one million. I don't think they've been charged with murder yet. Yeah, but it's coming, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Good. I hope they catch him and throw the book at him. Sad update, but at least uh, now they can literally throw the book at him. And at least all the people that were questioning uh, where these kids could be or were concerned about their well-being, at least to have that 
laid to rest. some closure. Yeah, some closure. Yep. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to do it for this one. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime. And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Uh, check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list or to send us ideas for an episode. Or if you just want to get a free sticker from our merch store, throw it in your cart, enter the code bingo bango at checkout. We'll ship it out to you 100% free. So hope you guys have a nifty thrifty week and uh, enjoyed our 50th episode. Yeah, thanks for listening. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! I don't think Destiny is necessarily only a stripper's name. I support strippers because they make...